Another senseless shooting at a synagogue on the last day of Passover in Poway, California. Attorney General William Barr might refuse to testify in front of Congress, while the left cannot get away from that dead from the dead narrative of collusion and obstruction, and a sad, heroic story that should inspire all of us to be more selfless. This is Gene, and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. On Saturday, a man entered uh, the Shabbat of Poway uh, as the congregation was celebrating the last day of Passover. The man who will not, I, I will not identify because he doesn't deserve he deserves to be forgotten walked into the synagogue at about 11:38 a.m. and started cursing and firing a AK-15 AR-15 type rifle. One woman was killed, and the three were injured. The woman was killed for diving in front of her rabbi. Three injured included the rabbi who lost a finger and possibly more, and a child who was shot in the leg. The suspect was a 19-year-old man. He had a history of racist behavior and had threatened multiple times of performing a live-streamed attack. Reportedly, he had a he said on an 8chan account, an alt-right website, that he wanted to live stream a mass shooting, like the nut job at Christchurch Church in New Zealand. He's also being looked at as a suspect for a attempted arson at a mosque that was about nine miles away. There, some there, someone. The shooter was confronted by an unarmed war vet, Oscar Stewart. This is this is really an awesome story, and it really just came out today. It, everything was rather confused. The shooter was confronted by an unarmed war vet, Oscar Stewart, dropping his gun, and uh, Oscar Stewart. Stewart started yelling at him in such a way that uh, the suspect dropped the gun and ran out of the synagogue. Stewart chased him and got to the car, but the shooter had actually locked himself out of the car, locked himself in the car. Stewart continued pounding on the glass, trying to figure out how to get into the car and get the suspect out. That's when he noticed the suspect had another rifle and grabbed for it. At that time, the blessing of the angels came about. A Border Patrol agent who, upon request of the rabbi, was armed, ran out of the synagogue, told Oscar Stewart to get to the ground, and started shooting at the car. Uh, The shooter, already proving himself to be just a major coward, drove away. As he was driving, a police officer who was called to the scene had recognized the car, uh, suspect's car from the description, and pulled the suspect order over. Um, the bravery of the suspect continued as he walked out of that car, hands in air, and surrendered peacefully to the police officer. This was an awesome story. Um, and I know someone died but it could have been so much worse except for the bravery of some people. Uh, here's the problem. I hate to get political, but I'm going to anyway. The reason I'm going to get political is because it shouldn't be politicized at all, and it is being. People always take a tragedy like this from both sides of the aisle 
take the tragedy and make it part of a narrative, part of their narrative. The left will say that this proves that we need gun control, which they are saying, and the right and uh, are controlled by white supremacy. The right will point out the armed border patrol agent and say that guns prevent more deaths. Those are narratives, and they don't care about the actual tragedy. Each side will twist facts. Now, yes, it does happen more on the left than it does on the right, but the right does it too. I've caught myself doing it a couple of times. And it's just, to be honest with you, it's not that important. It doesn't talk about the mourning that we should be doing for the woman who had died or her bravery for diving in front of the rabbi so she could take the bullet for him. It doesn't celebrate Oscar Stewart, who was completely unarmed and decided to chase this sick son of a gun out of the out of the synagogue. And still, even though the suspect was still armed and locked in his car, attempt to get this suspect. It doesn't talk about the unidentified border patrol agent who did, as the rabbi requested and carried a gun, ran out and saved Oscar Stewart's life. Without them, this could have been another Christchurch. There could have been 50, 100 people murdered. But no, we've got to start politicizing this right off the bat. And the ones who are the worst, the ones who are the most notorious about this, are the new fresh faces over in Congress. Congresswomen who have done absolutely nothing but cause problems. And the irony of these two saying anything about this is almost intolerable. Let's take a look at a tweet from Ilhan Omar right after. My heart is breaking after today's shooting at the Shabbat congregation in San Diego. On the last day of Passover and six months to the day after the Tree of Life shooting. We as a nation must confront the terrifying rise of religious hate and violence. Love Trump's hate. That's rich. This woman couldn't care less about people being attacked. She hates Jews and is very sympathetic to terrorists. She just doesn't see the difference between Al-Qaeda and the U.S. military. She refers to the biggest radical Islam attack on U.S. soil as some people did some things. She says the Jews have mesmerized the world, hypnotized the world. She thinks Jews are buying political allies in the United States government. Oh, there's more. She's just a terrible human. Period. Then there's the intellectual democratic socialist, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She had no trouble tweeting this. Heartbroken to hear of the San Diego synagogue shooting, particularly so on the final day of Passover. We have a responsibility to love and protect our neighbors. The longer the Senate delays holding a vote on H.R. 8, pound sign H.R. 8, the more we put Americans at risk. She is disgusting for a few reasons. She's worse than Ilhan Omar here. Because Ilhan Omar, at least during the attack in Sri Lanka, the attack on churches in Sri Lanka that killed upwards of 300, killed over 300 people, and most of them Christians, she didn't say a damn word. And what's worse, in that tweet itself, you can tell she didn't care about anybody who was killed in that attack. She was just happy a white supremacist did it, and a white supremacist did do it.
if she was really gave a damn about the peace and human life, she would have said something about the Muslim terrorist attack that killed over 300 Christians on Easter in Sri Lanka. She can't do that. She can't do that. Because the, the big narrative is white supremacy and uh, I, I would say I would say anti-Semitism, but I really don't think anti-Semitism is a big deal for either of these people. And that it was done with a gun. Because that bill that she te- talks about, all, after all that love and peace BS, H.R. 8 is a bill that requires background checks for all guns. She wa- That's all it is. It requires universal background checks. Now, right now, to get most guns, you do have to have a universal background check. I believe it is some in some states, rifles uh, do not require a universal background check. All weapons in California require a background check. And all the garbage that these people, if you don't believe me, just look up the form to fill out that you have to fill out to get a gun. They all require questioning about mental capacity. They all require uh, criminal records. And they are all sent to the government for a background check. She's bringing this crap up before we even know what weapon was used. At the time, it could have been a long rifle. We had no idea if this was a semi-automatic weapon, a handgun. No one really knew. Oh, but she's got to politicize this. Now, why didn't she, again, why didn't she politicize the uh, Christian shooter? The, the Christian to bombings? Hi there. To she didn't do that. Oh, I'm sorry. I got a messed up here. Hold on. And no, I'm not cutting this YouTube. I'm way too much on fire to do that. But I've got something playing in the background. But why didn't she even say she, it's been a week since the Sri Lankan attacks? Over 300 people died. Well, first off, they're Christian. And Christians are not seen as a group that is persecuted or attacked. Even though Christians are the leaders on a religious group that is attacked. Christians actually lead it, and that's via Pew Research. If you have any questions about that, you can easily look it up on the internet. I did. Okay. Two, guns weren't used. What was used were bombs. She is heavy into gun control. So she cannot use that as part of her narrative. This is the same thing that the New York Times actually admitted to when they said then they when they wrote why they didn't publicize anti-Semitic crime in New York, which is on the rise and very high. He's they said, well, it doesn't fit our narrative, so we don't really talk about it. Oops, that was a mistake. But it's just, it's just, it's absolutely terrible that we have to politicize everything. And we're talking minutes after the tragedy. I just wish this stuff would be seen for what it is. And we'd stop doing this. And I wish, I just wish these attacks would just stop. And contrary to the popular belief, it's not Islamophobia. It's not white supremacy. It's not anti-Christianity. It's all of them. Every place of worship is under threat. And I think and the only way I can see it is you're going to need to go to church, synagogue, temple, 
or your mosque with someone armed. It's the new way of it's the new way things are. It's the new normal. I hate that term new normal, but it really is. Well, the Senate Democrats and Bill Barr are going at it again. Uh, Barr is supposed to testify, Barr, the Attorney General of the United States, is supposed to testify in front of Congress on Thursday. About about what? Who knows? Um, Barr said he would honor the request, even though he has nothing factual he can testify about. So he's not really sure what is going to be accomplished. But Jerry Nadler, the Democrat uh, chair for the, I believe it's the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee, really wants to impeach Trump and decides he's going to throw a curveball to uh, Barr, possibly to get him to admit something that, I don't know what he's going to get Barr to admit to, but to get Barr thrown off. And he wants uh, to change the format of the interview. Instead of the congressional people asking questions of Barr, Nadler wants to allow the Congress people's uh, support staff to ask ask questions for the congressman. So in other words, Barr is not even going to get questioned by the congressmen themselves. Now, this is not wholly unprecedented. Don't, let's not get crazy here. You'll remember that the Republicans hired a prosecuting attorney to interview uh, Christine Blasey Ford, the woman who accused Matt Kavanaugh of rape. They did this because they knew, uh, because a prosecutor would know how to interview a victim and would have the expertise to determine uh, Kavanaugh's innocence or guilt. But there, things are a little different here. Barr does not want to have a bunch of lawyers interviewing him and said he would not show up. But things, I'm sorry, let me, but things are a little different here. Uh, Barr is not being accused of anything. Barr is not going to be putting up anything substantial. And therefore, Barr does not feel it necessary to be interviewed by a bunch of lawyers that are non-political, that are not Congress people. It's a waste of time. So Barr has basically said, I'm not going to show up if that's the format. This is supposed to be on Thursday, mind you. But this is more than just another investigation. And, and this is what drives me absolutely crazy. I think it's driving the, the country crazy. This just shows how much the left can't let their whole narrative go. They collusion has been collusion and obstruction. Oh, well, collusion first has been obstruction and then uh, or collusion first has been the narrative, and then obstruction was added later when collusion was probably not going to be found. And the reality is it was probably found right when Mueller actually started the investigation. And in less than a week, that whole narrative has been destroyed. But the left has nothing new. They can't create a new narrative. They don't know what new narrative is out there that can get Trump into trouble and get him at least to be impeached. The narrative of collusion and obstruction is still alive and well, and it's being used for an excuse to impeachment. The Democrats are just making things up. It's The Mueller report was really long, I understand that, but, I mean, read it. None of these guys have. This is a great interview uh, where Bill Maher, who is no friend of Trump, he's actually far left, and Adam Schiff are, dis- are being discussed. And 
this interview is interesting because it shows the Democrats' um, Trump derangement syndrome. Well, I think Bill Maher pretty much shows how the left are feeling. Listen to this. I mean, the Mueller report is, at the end of the day, you know, that firecracker that you know, goes up and then the one that fizzles. You know, oh, look, uh, nothing. <laughs> Do you think you guys relied too much on that? Look, I was always of the opinion, number one, that the Office of Legal Counsel opinion that you can't indict a sitting president was wrong. Oh, good. Uh, that, in fact, you can indict a sitting president. Uh, you, I think there are prudential reasons not to try someone who's the president of the United States, but particularly when there's any risk of the statute of limitations running, uh, if the president commits a crime, they should be indicted, uh, and you should stay prosecution. So... Um, but, but, frankly, I had no expectation that that would be the course Mueller would take, uh, even if the evidence supported it, because he is fundamentally conservative. And I don't mean left-right conservative, but he was going to follow the established policy. He was not going to make new ground. So I didn't think it was realistic to expect that he would indict the president. Um, and those that did, I think, were unrealistic in their expectations. Uh, but I, I do think he laid out what we needed to see, which is that the Russians were engaged in a systemic effort to interfere in our election, that the Trump campaign welcomed it, embraced it, built it into their plan, made full use of it, lied about it, covered it up, uh, and then obstructed the investigation into it. Uh, and if we had any doubt before um, about this president's fitness for office, there is no doubt remaining. He is unfit for the presidency. Well. But, but, but this was our big gun. Now it just looks like you're stalking him. Uh, I, I think in the eyes of the people who don't follow it that closely, which is most of the country, was... Here's the thing about Bob Mueller. He's, like, the last person... Maybe the last thing in America that left and right agreed on. Left and right basically agreed. This is a guy of honor. This is an honest guy. This is an honest broker. Whatever he says goes. Americans are not into details. Don't read it to me, Bob. Just give me a thumbs up or thumbs down. The fact that he was like, uh. <laughs> I, I don't... If you, were, no. if you couldn't impeach before, how are you going to impeach after? Or should you? Well, I have never been a huge fan of Bill Maher. I think his politics are off. I think he's just... Yeah, I think he's rude. He's crude. And... A lot of the times, he just, he plays to emotion and things of that nature. But the one thing I know is that he knows when right is right and wrong is wrong. Bill Maher is, as far as I'm concerned, probably the left-wing um, intellectual dark web. He is very intelligent, and his argument was really strong with Schiff. Uh, but there are two parts of this interview that are important to point out. First, everything that Schiff said was wrong. The Trump campaign did nothing, had nothing to do with Russia. They even put sanctions on Russia when it was confirmed that Russia did try to hack the and influence the election. Russia did not make that much of an effort to influence the election, by the way. $100,000 in social media ads is not a lot. Okay. They did not build... Russian influence into the campaign. They did not lie. They did not cover up and instruct. 
It's in the report. Schiff is changing what is in the report to keep the narrative alive, albeit it's on life support. And Bill Maher hit it the best. No one wants to know. No one wants to read the report. No one, it, they just muller up or down. Adam Schiff knows that. That's why he can change the report itself on television and on newsrooms. Especially, you're not going to see him walking into Fox News and talking about this. Fox News will destroy him. They'll say, that's not in the report. He basically made up the report. But what's interesting is that he what is what he leaves out. When all this stuff was supposedly happening, Trump was not elected. All this was all this that was supposedly done was while Obama was president. Trump had no power to control anything. Trump had no power to hide or to um, cover up anything. It was the Obama administration that did not do anything. That is, until Hillary lost the election. But that's not the real story here. And the Democrats don't realize Mars' opinion is the opinion of most Americans, including Democrats and independents. People got the answers and want to move on. I believe the percentage is in the high 70s. They did polling on this and they said, okay, let's just move on. Now it looks like Trump is just being harassed or, as Mahler said, stalked. It's going to be a real turnoff for voters. Because here's the reality. The far left is a minority still. They are not going to be the majority in the next election and probably not the election after. Though they want impeachment, collusion and obstruction to be the narrative, most people on both sides don't. We got Mueller's report. We got the answers, and the people want to move on. This stuff isn't going to play well for Democrats in 2020 if they try to keep all this up for the, for the next year and a half. Me, I hope they do. I think Trump's doing a good job. I think now Trump's relaxed. He can do more. I hope they keep it up, and he'll be elected for four more years. The next story is... Just heartbreaking. Uh, this is sad, but this is also one that must be celebrated. This story must be celebrated. There's so much cynicism and narcissism in the world today that when we see an act of selflessness, even from that of a person facing death. Dana Scatton was 17 years old and pregnant. She belongs to a Christian. She belongs to a Christian family, so abortion was not an option. Seven months into her pregnancy, it was discovered that she had a cancerous brain tumor that was inoperable. There was nothing really they could do. The tumor was most likely terminal. They gave her between six and 18 months to live. She was given the option to extend her life uh, by going through radiation, but she refused because the treatment would most likely harm her baby. In January, a few days before her 18th birthday, she gave birth to a healthy baby girl named Aries. And if you go to my website, you're actually going to see uh, pictures of her. Well, Dana died today. Her, her family left uh, the following post on Facebook, and I quote, This morning, shortly before 4 a.m., Dana left us to be with the Lord. 
We may never have the right things to say to truly honor the amazing, smart, loving, caring, passionate, incredibly beautiful, and free spirit mother, daughter, niece, sister, cousin, friend, and independent woman Dana was every day. She inspired us to all be better than who we are and to keep God in our focus at every moment. She faced the greatest fear of all, death, and smiled back with a grin only God can instill. She fought harder than the toughest warriors known to man and did it with grace and valor. I've got goosebumps right now. And as someone who's lost someone very close to me, I, I just, I just, the pain, I, I, I can't imagine. Well, I can't imagine, but I, it's still, it's so different. The post ended uh, with Dana's favorite uh, biblical quote from Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am your God. Do not be dismayed, for I am with you. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Righteous right hand, excuse me. This is a very sad story, but it's also a very happy one. Both for Dana, her family, and her baby. Because her strength and courage are guaranteed. Her strength and courage have just guaranteed that her memory, her memory will live on uh, through the life, through life, throughout life through the life of that beautiful girl. And you can see I'm really kind of choked up by it. So I thought it would be a really nice story to end with. Um, a tragic, sad story, but just a very powerful story. So you can follow me on Twitter at RunninFool, R-U-N-N-I-N-F-E-W-L. And... Please visit my website and my blog. You can actually read a lot of this on my blog at www.dumbassestalkingpolitics.com. Have a nice night. <laughs>